Welcome to the SJ Child Show, where a little bit of knowledge can turn fear into understanding. Enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to the SJ Child Show. Today, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You know, I'm taking a new journey, uh, new steps rather, onto a new journey in, in our life with our son, DJ. You know, we're kind of going into post high school and what that looks like and how can we accommodate a uh, younger student with academic prowess and challenging support needs. So I'm really excited today to not only meet with Debbie and really get to know her a little bit better, but find out more about their amazing services and we're going to have a lot of value in this conversation today. So thank you so much for being here today. I'm so happy to be here. It's such a pleasure to have you. You know, you were highly recommended. Um, What amazing relationships Miss Harry must make with people because she really has spread so much love for, for me into this new community. Um, Let's just start off about uh, an introduction and kind of let us know a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm Debbie Steinberg Kuntz. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I live just outside of Seattle and I started out as a general Uh, child family therapist. And over time, I started to work with a very specialized population. That's because in Seattle, we've got Amazon, Microsoft, we have a lot of engineers, who I like to call bright and quirky. They're really bright. And they might also have challenges with learning social, emotional or behavioral issues. And the diagnoses we see very often, uh, in addition to brightness or giftedness is ADHD, anxiety, learning differences like dyslexia, and uh, kids and adults on the autistic spectrum. And um, I've got, and we call these kids and adults twice exceptional because they have two exceptions to the norm. One is that they have very advanced skills like your son. And then at the same time, they have challenges that need support. And most clinicians, most teachers have never been taught about twice exceptional kids. So it's a very niche thing. I have twice exceptional kids. I like to call them bright and quirky. So I've sort of found this community um, who were looking for bright and quirky programs and services. It was an offshoot of my private practice. I've since closed my private practice and I only work online and we have summits and a parent membership and masterclass collections. And I love interviewing the top psychologists and just, Mm. I have an obsession with collecting information. (laughs) I love that. That's why you and I get well, get along so well, right? right. Not enough you can do to get enough information. (laughs) Exactly. That's fantastic. Uh, And I love that you said, you know, kind of all of the the companies and the the engineers and things, because that's something I never really would have thought of. I like that take on that. And it it is so true, too. I I completely agree with you. Um, When you started, what kind of what kind of needs were you hearing from the community to kind of give you that push into opening up something available for them? I think the biggest thing is that 
parents just don't know what to do. You know, when you, the typical path is they'll start seeing signs like my child's not handing in their assignments or my child has trouble making friends or my child melts down a lot, has trouble with self-regulation. My child has trouble with reading or writing. And here they are like off the charts, bright, doing crazy things, you know, reading. They've got this asynchronous development where, you know, let's say the child is seven and they're reading at a 12th grade level, but they have the emotional control of a three-year-old and they, they've, they're just developing asynchronously. And parents would come in my office and they just sit on my couch and say, Debbie, tell me what to do. I just don't know. So I worked for many years interviewing all of these experts. And finally, I was ready to put it into a model. Because when I was in grad school, I remember uh, going into community mental health, doing my internship, and I was with my first family. Everyone in the family had ADHD, and I was sort of like sitting there thinking, wow, this family really needs a therapist. And then my second thought is like, wow, I'm the therapist. (laughs) And when, when I went back to grad school, my professor said, always come back to the model that you've been taught. So I wanted to give bright and quirky families a similar kind of model. And I call it the possibility plan. Mm, I like that. It's there's, I love the possibility plan because I think that that's something that parents, especially parents getting a new diagnosis have the lack of sense of having is that possibility and giving them hope and giving them an idea that, uh, it's, you're not lost. There are ways to provide support. There are learning curves and, um, helping to guide families along that line. That's what I love, you know, to do too here at the SJ child show. And through my children's books is really just give those parents or children that little bit of guide, um, a little quote we have is a little bit of knowledge turns fear into understanding and Mm, thanks. And it, it, kind of works on all levels, doesn't it? Uh, Especially for children who might think that their peer is, you know, quirky. And how do you then help them understand how to support that peer and how to be a better friend? Um, So it it definitely starts at home though. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's, one thing that is sort of wrong with our medical system is that if you have enough symptoms of things that are not typical, you get a diagnosis. There's nowhere in the diagnostic process that says, you know what? We have figured out that your child has these incredible strengths and they would make an amazing mathematician, an amazing musician, an amazing friend, a creative innovator. We're missing that other half, that piece that talks to the strengths. And what we know about talking to successful, I'm going to call them 2E adults, twice exceptional adults, is that it wasn't their weaknesses that got them to where they were, so right. that got them to be successful in life. And, and yet we focus 100% on remediation. Mm-hmm. What got them there was by blowing on the embers of their strengths and interests and passions. So I think about it like a sailboat. You have a sailboat and it's our job as parents to blow wind into our child's sails, to help them catch the wind. That's by 
being opportunity makers, exposing them to things that could become interests by fueling them in their strengths, by um, seeing what lights them up. And that's like the number one way to tell how your child is doing is do they have the light in their eyes? So that's the sale. The boat of the sailboat, we want to keep it even keeled by making our home a safe haven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if they want to stem, if they want to do a lot of things without being focused for a time, having that unstructured play, that's totally fine. So making an environment where this is a space where you can be you. And then we've got the anchor. It's a big sailboat. So it has an Mm -hmm. anchor. And what we want to do is lift the anchor by providing supports, compensation strategies, skill building, assistive technology, whatever is needed. And we experiment uh, to do more of that. So we have to remember, it's not just about lifting the anchor. It's about putting wind in the sails, trying to keep the boat as even as we can and lifting that anchor. Sorry about that. Thank you very much. Um, and it, I love that analogy too. I, my husband's the analogy maker of our family. So uh, he always has some, some great ones, but um, it's so important that families have kind of that idea of how to provide supports for children that, you know, it, there's no textbook for parenting. Let's just get that straight, right? There's <laughs> there's lots of ways you can get information, but each child is so vastly different, especially if you are a parent of multiple children, then you understand from one to the next, you think, oh, it's going to be so easy. I've d- done this one, the next one, it's going to be, oh no, that's not, how, that's not how it works, folks. Um, no, I think that, you know, when you really, like you said, um, when you see those strengths, and especially with kiddos that might have a harder time with challenges. Like I love to tell parents to do that same thing, to build on their strengths, to build up those weaker challenge points so that they can have that empowerment and start building those self-confidence blocks that are so important. Absolutely. Yeah. You were saying something about, um, some steps, a seven steps process. Tell me a little bit more about that. Okay. This is the possibility plan. This is the bright and quirky method. And if you're curious to learn more about it, you can go to brightandquirky.com. It's in our membership, which is uh, the ideal lab. So brightandquirky.com slash ideal lab. And step one is to shift the paradigm. So In the medical and school system we live in, it's easy to think about our child through the lens of their diagnosis, their diagnostic label. Um, You know, but when you think of our heroes like Temple Grandin or Jack Horner, who's one of the top paleontologists in the world, um, you know, the world might think Temple Grandin is an autistic woman. But that does not begin to tell the story, unpack what that means from a strengths perspective. She pretty much revolutionized the cattle industry and many animal industries. She revolutionized how we approach autism because the people in white coats were not really getting it right back um, 
many, many years ago. And what if someone had sat down with her parents and said, you know, one day we think your daughter is going to be on the cover of Time Magazine as the woman of the year because she has contributed so much to our society. Or Jack Horner, who grew up dyslexic uh, during the baby boom years, and he failed every year of school, but they couldn't leave him back because there were um, too many kids in class. And he he just knew that he loved to dig in the dirt for dinosaur bones. So he kept doing that. You know, what if when he was little, the teacher had said to his parents, you know, keep letting him dig those holes and learn about dinosaur bones because one day he is going to be one of the masters, one of the absolute experts in the world, instead of looking at this kid as an F student. So we really need to shift the paradigm. And that's what we do in step one. Do you want me to just run through the steps? That'd be great. Okay. Step two is regulate and relate. Before we can really roll up our sleeves and start putting puzzle pieces in place to help our kids thrive, to help them, you know, really make their possibilities possible, we need to get to the green zone. So this is uh, the work of Dr. Stephen Porges with polyvagal theory that has revolutionized the way that I work with clients, that I work with my own family. And the idea is that the nervous system has different pathways. And I'm going to vastly simplify it. And this is um, the work of Mona Delahook, who translates a lot of Dr. Porges's work. We have the green zone where we're feeling calm, ready to learn, ready to connect. Then we have the red zone where we're in fight, flight, or freeze. Then we have the blue zone, which is shut down. Think of like a turtle going into their shell. This happens often after red zone. It can be sort of a trauma response, a stress response. So we need to work to get our home to the green zone as much as possible and to help our kids find the green zone. And for kids, especially on the autistic spectrum, who are high sensory, which which can come in very handy if you're high sensory. And I could tell a story that about that. But um, to help kids learn how to get out of defense mode and into green zone is a really big step. Step three is blowing on those embers of the strengths. We walk through how to do that, how to identify strengths, how to nurture them. And the subtlety here is we don't want to exploit those interests to the point where kids are like, well, it's no longer fun anymore because you're making me practice all this time and you're making me do that and you know this and that and it's become stressful. So um, really nurturing those strengths in a positive way. Step four is identifying challenges. Now, one thing that's really true for bright and quirky kids in my experience is they have what one of my clients called a cocktail diagnosis. It seems <laughs> like it's very rarely like ADHD just autism. You know, we often have a co-occurring anxiety or depression or dyslexia with ADHD or autism with ADHD. So if you're a parent and you're in the traditional model and you're like, here's three treatment plans for your three diagnoses. I mean, where do you start? That's just a mountain of information that is very difficult to tackle. So what we do in step four is prioritize it by challenge. 
Hmm. instead of by diagnosis. So I honestly don't work within a model of diagnoses very often. I work within a model of challenges such as self-regulation, executive function, anxious mind. Um, And I find that that's a lot easier because then you can eat the elephant one bite at a time. (laughs) Uh, And I'm racing through these. This is an eight-week program. This is like the the trailer, right? Okay. Step five is where the rubber meets the road. I've interviewed many, many successful TUI adults. And as I was saying earlier, they got to where they are by nurturing their strengths and passions. There's another piece here, which is they ran experiments to see what would work well for their brain. And I call this being a self-scientist. You know, you probably saw a number of professionals or read a number of books and you're like, oh, here's another one who doesn't get it. Another book that's not speaking to me. Another professional that has no idea about 2E kids. Um, But if we reframe this as we're running a bunch of experiments and it's not like, oh, this is a dead end again. About it like a science fair approach to life that we have a hypothesis of what might work. We go out and try a few things, and then we do more of what works and less of what doesn't work. And it's it's a very um, lightening way to approach this lifestyle. And we talk about being self-scientists as families. Uh, my kids talk about being self-scientists. In, in fact, my son, who's in college now, he said, Mom, that's the single biggest concept you taught me. Mm-hmm. Um, because being on my own uh, with certain challenges, I have to run a lot of experiments to see what works. And I have my toolkit now and um, it served him really well. And that. then in step six, we uh, talk about school. School is a big deal for our kids because traditional schools were not made with bright and quirky kids in mind. So many of them feel like square pegs and round holes. You know, if you think about it, if you're really bright and have challenges at the same time, the ideal education will be able to accelerate you as far as you can go with your strengths and support you in areas that don't come as easily. Excuse me. So, and I'm sure you have a very interesting story to tell about that. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> right. So many, many families that I work with end up going out of the public school system, either going to private school, micro school, homeschool, all kinds of different hybrids. Uh, We do, you know, one-to-one classes on the hardest subjects, public school for the easier subjects. Mentors are really important for our kids. And um, there are many, many options that a lot of people don't know about for schooling. And we work with families to help them advocate. And, you know, what is very unfortunate is that most teachers get no training in kids like ours. Yeah. So we have a lot of materials we arm parents with for advocacy. And what's cool is when they're advocating for their child, they're helping that teacher not only understand your child, but every child that comes after. That's also uniquely required. Love that. And then we wrap it up in step seven, where we integrate all the pieces. And it's a living, evolving, breathing document that changes as, as you grow. And it kind of never finishes. It's <laughs> growing. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? 
And, you know, I really like that. And I want to go back to kind of those beginning steps, because I think that um, what parents sometimes miss is that part that comes back on them, that this isn't just about your child. This isn't just, this is really about your mindset as well. How are you going to enter this new phase or this new steps? Like, are you going to bring communication that doesn't find solutions or might, you know, cause more problems than not? Like really be aware and check your, um, check your ego at the door <laughs> and, and really know that you need to go into it when you, you know, it, this is the best way you can is with um, a sense of learning. And I think that a lot of parents want to go into parenting with a sense of knowing that and, and control and these other things. But what it really is, is like you said, you're, you're a science, like this is your science experiment. <laughs> I kind of yeah. love that you said that. Uh, and that is so true. And the more you add, you find out what works, you find out what doesn't, you find out right away in those early years. But really learning how to be an advocate for your child starts with how you um, act and think as a parent and really just try to come from um, a really strong mind in that way that you can give them, you know, the best opportunities that they can have out there. I I like telling parents that everything's figure outable and we're going to self-scientist and experiment our way to figuring it out. And life is like a jigsaw puzzle. We, we put one piece in that unlocks what next pieces we might put, which unlocks more pieces that we can put in And I asked them to make a decision, a decision to believe that their kids are going to work out just fine, Mm -hmm. that they will get what they need by the time it's time to leave home. And if you make that clear decision, it changes how you speak, it changes how you think, and uh, it makes a big difference. And you could say, you know what, honey, I don't. I don't know right now how we're going to get there, but we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. This is figure outable. I love that figure outable, and that's relatable for people. You know, it, it's <laughs> simple, it's easy, um, it's yeah that that makes it so much more comfortable to to sit with the idea of a big journey ahead of you. Um, is that you take it one piece at a time, one moment at a time, one day at a time, whatever you know it is for you and for your family's journey. Um, tell us a little bit about the upcoming summit that you guys have going on. Yeah. So I've done a summit every year for the last six years. This is going to be the sixth annual bright and quirky child summit. And our theme this year is screen time and mental health. And our kids are um, particularly vulnerable to screen overuse and problematic internet use. So this topic was really calling to me and uh, in the summit is completely free. Each uh, talk airs uh, for free 24 hours uh, from, from when it begins. Uh, It goes for five days starting May 15th. And um, we're talking about how to get off screens, how to prevent tech related mental health issues, how to bring fun back into Mm -hmm. our lives. You know, we're so 
focused on productivity, um, tips, tricks, hacks. Um, we have a neurodivergent day. Uh, we've got an incredible talk about autism and healthy gaming. Uh, we've got one for ADHD. And um, I think parents are going to find it very valuable. It sounds fantastic. I can't wait to to be able to take part and watch and and learn. And my favorite thing, I love learning. I think that you know <laughs> we're we're always learning, and the best we can do for ourselves is constantly learning. In fact, my biggest mentor and the one who taught me that is my 96 year old grandfather who up until he started getting um, a little bit of Alzheimer's, unfortunately, was still reading and taking like online college courses and reading these big books and listen, doing audio. And I think he was maybe 92 to 95 (laughs) or something and still and just impressed. You know, you need to keep learning. The more you keep learning, the best, you know, the better life you'll have. And Oh, just, yes. Right. You can't go wrong with somebody who's lived that long and is, is healthy and smart today, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Use it or lose it. Yeah, that's for sure. Oh, it's been so fantastic getting to know you and finding out more about bright and quirky. And I'm so glad that we were able to make this connection Thank you so, so much. Um, You had mentioned brightandquirky.com earlier. And like we had spoken about before, everything will be in the show notes. So if you guys want to um, reach out for, if you're in the local Seattle area, do you guys do anything local? But everything's digital. Just everything online. Well, that makes it easier for everyone, no matter where you're at, to be able to get a hold of them. Um, thank you so much for sharing this with us today, because like I said, this is kind of a new step on our journey. And for some of the listeners who might be out there in that same boat, now we can maybe face this in together and, you know, and really start building that camaraderie with one another to support each other through this journey. Yeah. And we've got a new possibility plan cohort starting, I think, June 2nd. So we'd love to have you in there. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm so, so glad that we were able to do this. And I um, thank you for the patience and grace through the interruption process. (laughs) Uh, The other learning process, isn't that the truth? Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's been just a great pleasure to get to know you and I hope we can stay in touch. Me too. I appreciate you reaching out and it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. 